Well, that's guys. <coughs> okay. So, we are in Mark's Gospel, and if you want to have it in front of you, you can use the little blue ones that are there. So we get, in the New Testament, you get Matthew, then Mark. And we're on Mark 6 today, so we've been working our way through this account of Jesus' life. Um, It's one of the earliest ones to be written, and it's quite a fast-paced kind of book, really. You get this sense of urgency, um, and also a sense of kind of chaos, especially at the beginning, where you get this sense of the crowd is pressing in, and everyone's jumping and falling and grabbing and declaring, and it's it's just noisy, and uh, I think if you were there, it would be perhaps at times quite terrifying. So that's page 1008, if you need to know the page number. So today um, our topic is what causes unbelief, and what we've been trying to do in Mark's Gospel is to go through it and ask questions along the way that we might ask. So um, we've done some questions so far, so today is what causes unbelief. And we've got some examples today that we're going to look at. Uh, but before I do that, I want to say that um, this kind of faith and doubt, we can often be quite scared of unbelief. Um, it can make us feel very um, unsettled or at times fearful or even terrified as we um, have questions arising within us. And it can also feel a bit like a naughty word, that we shouldn't say it amongst our Christian friends, because we might cause them maybe to fall a bit, mightn't they? So it becomes sort of this embarrassing, taboo subject that we don't want to talk about. Um, And therefore... The devil loves it because we're completely isolated in that. And he can just sit there and go, hmm, hmm, got you. But faith and doubt, I think, is part of the Christian walk. It's in every believer's journey. Uh, Extreme moments of it have been called like the dark night of the soul, where you just don't know where you are, what you're doing, or where God is. But I think there's more daily doubt as well. There are small and large ones. I know in my life there's been seasons where I've felt full of faith. Um, I can remember when I first became a Christian, I felt fairly unstoppable. I was very certain as to what was true and what was not true. I would like, I would stand very clearly on something. There wasn't much grey in my Christian walk, and I, I felt very confident. But I also know that there have been seasons of doubt too, when I felt very underconfident, like there wasn't much beneath my feet. Perhaps if in times when I've struggled with illness or there's been tragedy or I've been exposed to extreme suffering, there's been moments then when I thought, I'm not sure about any of this right now. And those periods fill me, I don't know about you, with real periods of fear and anxiety. 
How about you? Have you had those days? You're ringing, Alice. (laughs) Have you had those days when you felt full of faith? Was it a season where it wasn't particularly difficult? Life was ticking along. Your prayers appeared to be answered instantly. And it was all good. And then those seasons, again, of doubt for you, when perhaps uh, you prayed earnestly, but silence was all you heard. Seasons of doubts can be considered maybe obstacles to our faith. Those obstacles for you might be uh, intellectual ones, marrying up, Can there really be a virgin birth? Could someone really rise from the dead? Um, What about evolution? What about dinosaurs? (laughs) Or they might be other um, things that you might struggle with. Like life might become very difficult to, to manage. There might be things that have come into your life you never thought would be there. But now you're wondering, well, where is God in this? The truth is we all struggle with our faith. Faith is a battle. It is something to fight for. It's not something we lie down and just take. Learning to trust and obey and act happens in every new set of circumstances we face. And faith could be considered overcoming one doubt at a time. When we sing that song, Oceans, I'm just terrified. Why would anyone sing that? You've called me out upon the waters. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, that my faith would be made stronger. What are you praying? Just take me into the unknown, into the scariest place you could possibly take me, Lord, that I know I will sink in, feel terrified and have to cry out to you. And then you might do that, or you might, you might not. What are we praying? I don't know, but we pray anyway, because it says, and my faith will be made stronger. And that's the important thing to remember, isn't it? Each of these obstacles that we come across, they do make our faith stronger. There isn't really any other way of growing our faith. So today we're going to read about two, uh, a group of, uh, kind of two groups of people um, and think about doubt for them. This isn't going to cover everything for us, but it might give us a bit of an insight. So we're going to read um, Mark chapter 6. So if you want to follow, remember it was on 1000 and something, 6 I think. So, chapter 6. Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue And many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the the brothers of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? 
Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few people who were ill and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. And we'll stop there and we'll come back. So here is our first um, kind of case study, I guess, for doubt. And it's his family and friends. So Jesus has gone home. This is the, if you remember, his family earlier came along to try and take control of him. They thought he was out of his mind. And here he is back in his hometown. And they know the miracles that has been happening. They see the evidence of the teaching. He's running rings around people who perhaps um, helped his mum change diapers on him. He, he is suddenly doing something so confusing. It's a bit like um, thinking of 2 plus 2 equals 4, but now, and mass people probably get excited about this, it equals 5. And you can either think, well, it does equal 5 because the evidence shows it equals 5, or you can refuse to believe that because it cannot equal five. And here we go. This is where they're at. So they see him. This is someone they know. He's just the carpenter. They've seen him grow up. They've seen him run around. They know his whole family. And yet, he is able to teach in a way with authority that is outstripping every single person in their village. And imagine the humbleness that would be needed to accept this. No wonder, it says, they took offense. There must be a logical explanation. They start asking questions. What's this wisdom that has been given him? As in, who gave it to him? He can't possibly have come up with it on his own. He's a carpenter. Okay, so that's the first thing. Um, what's this wisdom? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? What are they? They've heard about them. They might have even seen them. But there's a lot of skepticism going on here. I like the the word in verse 7. It's translated as offense. And that's a word I want to use a lot today because it's the word scandalon, where we get scandalous from. Um, You'll know it from when Paul uses it in the New Testament uh, when he says the cross is a stumbling block. That's the word, scandalon. It, um, It means to put a snare in the way, to cause others to stumble or to fall away. So I'm going to use our chair today as an illustration of our scandalon. Okay, I wanted a big big rock, really, but I didn't have time to make one. Andrew would have made one, probably. So here is my scandalon. And that is something that is perhaps going to cause me to stumble or to trip. In the Old Testament, you'd find it in Leviticus, very simple law, don't put anything in the way of someone blind, pretty obvious really. But spiritually, it's used much wider than that. 
Um, the scandal on, the stumbling block, is something that will prevent you from going forward. <coughs> um, we see, if you flick back to chapter 4, we find this word used again. Very exciting. Um, <laughs> this is why people t- think I'm weird in my house when I'm going, I'm getting very excited about this Greek word. <laughs> in verse 17 of chapter 4, we find this word again, and it's translated, quickly fall away. Can you see it? When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. They scandalon. Can you see this now? It's a stumbling block. When trouble comes, they stumble. And Jesus in chapter 4 gives a few examples of how they might, what might cause them to fall away. Firstly, Satan snatches the truth from them. It's a battle from the mind. It's when we feel things like, this is not going to work. He is not going to answer my prayer. I don't think he's there at all. What is going on? Does he love me? Scandal on there is in the mind. And Romans 12, too, tells us be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We need the truth continually being told into our mind. It's a battle for the mind, and there's been plenty of books written on that. The second one is trouble and persecution. When we come to faith, we often find, especially after we get baptized, you better get ready for this if you're thinking of it this Easter, that trouble comes. Suddenly, you were having a lovely time. Now you've crashed your car, you've lost your job, and um, your child is running off doing something crazy that you wish they'd never do. Trouble comes, and it can be a scandal, an obstacle. We think, oh, life was so much easier without this trouble. Where are you, God? What are you doing about this? Is God even listening? Because my life has got worse. And that continues through our whole Christian life. There's not much we can do about that, and we've talked about that before. And then wealth and desires. If the devil can't get you with lies, cause you to in your head to be confused, if he can't get you through troubles that he throws in your path, if he can't get you through persecution, then what about distracting you with wealth and desires? And we see this in Herod. So let's have a little peek at him. If you go back to chapter 6, and we're going to start at verse 14. Don't think I've missed out. Jesus sends out the 12. We're just coming back to them. King Herod heard about this. Okay, so he heard about uh, what was going on and Jesus was healing people and the disciples are going out. Um, Heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead and that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah, and still others claimed he is a prophet, like the one of the prophets long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. 
For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. And you can read on about what happens when John gets beheaded later on. So, we're on Herod. Well, Herod's getting in on the conversation about who Jesus is, because you can imagine, remember, there's this massive crowd following Jesus. He's fed 5,000 people, at least 5,000 men, and we know that this swirling crowd is following him. We know that Jewish leaders have, um, in Jerusalem have sent a, a, like an official ambassadors to come and give their verdict on Jesus. We know um, that Jesus' family are getting in on it and they, what they think about him. And so it's the talk of the whole region is who is Jesus and Herod wades in on the conversation about who Jesus is and there's two things to notice about Herod and faith firstly you see in verse 14 some are saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead Um, yes verse 16 John whom I beheaded has been raised from the dead so firstly, John, um, Herod, sorry, has no problem believing that someone could rise from the dead. He has no problem at all believing that miracles can happen. Can you see? That's not an obstacle to his faith at all. Secondly, does he think um, that, it might, um, that words might be true? If you look at what he thinks about John, verse 20... Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be righteous and holy. He knew that what John was saying was true. So he's got, he's got a couple of things going on. Firstly, if you imagine this, he understands someone could rise from the dead. He believes in miracles. He knows what John said is true. But what's his obstacle? What's his scandal on here? Well, his scandal on is he doesn't want to listen to John because he said that it's not right for him to have his brother's wife. His scandal on is his desires. It's the third category, the desire, or the fourth category, sorry, his desires. Herod is wealthy, he is powerful, he's in a position of influence, he thinks he can do whatever he likes. And he will not submit to authority. This is the scandal on that stops some people. They know it in their head. They believe it is possible. They know it's true. But they don't want to listen. That is Herod's scandal on. And many people... Wealth and desires can really stand in our way of faith. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He said, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be given to you as well. I wonder how much we do seek all these things, and the kingdom will happen. It doesn't work that way. 
it can be a real scandal. Some of us, our biggest fears are wrapped up in not having enough. Not having enough money, enough rooms, enough clothes, enough children, enough status, enough power, enough garden, enough retirement funds, enough holidays, enough coffees, enough intelligence. And Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel, for the pagans, the unbelievers, run after these things. And in our culture, I know that that is a constant scandal on I've got to get over. It's a barrier to me moving on in my faith. I know that. So we have two scandalons here. Jesus' family and friends perhaps could be described as a mind obstacle. They, don't, they can't get how two plus two could equal five. They're cynics. And we can find ourselves as Christians in this, this place all the time when we see something miraculous and we think, aye, aye, what's going on here? This has got to be a trick. This can't be right. We're natural cynics, especially in the West. And secondly, our desires. What he wants is more important than following. And how much can that be our case? What we want is an obstacle to following Jesus. So, we're going to nip back to the bit we missed in the middle now. Jesus sends out the 12. <clears throat> because this is sandwiched between these two, pe- two sets that don't believe. Let's look at our 12. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two. He gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed with oil many people who were ill and healed them. The disciples go out to possible persecution, and they certainly will later. They're not distracted by stuff because Jesus tells them to take none, and he sends them with authority. This is ultimately what our enemies fear. To be free from fear of loss of wealth or stuff, to be free from fear of trouble or persecution, when we're fighting back in our minds against words of doubt, we have power. This word, authority, Jesus gives them authority. It's power to act. It comes with privilege and strength. And I love this word. It impacted me, jurisdiction. And if anyone had jurisdiction, it was Jesus. When he walked anywhere, his jurisdiction was felt as the demons fell at his feet, screaming, do not persecute me or us. Jurisdiction is what we are given. It's authority to say this is God's patch. Hop it, leave, 
go. It's authority to heal and to speak words of truth. And that's what the disciples do. They heal and they say, be gone. And when we see what the kingdom and that authority could be like in our lives, it awakens us to the fact that faith is worth fighting for. It is a battle. We shouldn't be ashamed to say to people, I'm struggling in this area. It's okay. You know, Jesus gives us two things. He gives us his spirit, the Holy Spirit, which he had as he went out into the wilderness. But he also gives us each other to love each other, to build each other up, to pray for each other, to give each other encouragement, to say, it is going to be okay. I will stand with you on this. We are together in this. And it awakens me, it's a message I need to hear. I need to be honest with people and tell them when I'm struggling what my scandal on is at that point. It's an encouragement for me to keep going. How about you? I'm encouraged that the disciples show us that the scandal on is not a one-off event. Here they go out with authority and they do amazing miracles, but it won't be long before Jesus is berating them again for their lack of faith, for deserting him, for fleeing because of trouble and persecution. I'm also excited about James. He's sitting in this room with the family that are saying, what on earth? No way, we're not having anything to do with that. And yet James becomes the leader of the Jerusalem church. Many of Jesus' family come to believe in him. Just because there's a scandal on stopping somebody at the moment who you're praying for coming to faith doesn't mean that it's not going to be removed, that they're not going to be able to climb over it or get around it or move forward. Jesus' family show us that, that it's possible. The devil is like going along and he's chucking stuff in people's way, all the way. He doesn't want anybody to go forward in faith. So before we beat ourselves up for our lack of faith, let's take encouragement from the people that have gone before us. The walk of faith is a bit stumbly and a bit all over the place, but it's about just going one thing at a time. This is what I'm facing right now. Do you know what? I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit. I'm going to get my church behind me, and we are going to knock this down. So let's pray to finish and have a little bit of a think about what your scandal on might be. It's, it's terrible to face it. It's one thing to admit it to God. He knows it anyway, but sometimes it's pretty hard to admit it to ourselves. So let's um, just be quiet for a few minutes. Jesus, we thank you for the encouragement that we see in your family that even though they didn't believe in you, they did eventually. And they went on to be full of faith. We thank you for the encouragement that we see in others who followed you, like the disciples who one minute were full of faith and the next minute scared and running for the hills. And we thank you for your promise that you who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion.
and that we can grip onto that, Jesus, and know that you have us and you will never let us go. Thank you, Jesus, that you prayed for us in times of trouble, that before you were crucified, you prayed to the Father that we would have protection and strength to keep going. And so, Jesus, we pray today, we do believe. Help us overcome our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen.